From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Dominican Father Brian Mullady is in the house. If you've got a question, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 205 2712985 and you can even uh, get moved straight to the front of the line if you are outside the United States or Canada at 12052712985 you can always send us an email open line at ewtn.com or you can text your question text the letters ewtn to 55000 Wait for a response, text your first name and your question, message, and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Charles Beery, producing the program today. Your call screener is Matt Kubinski. And um, if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And your host, as he is every Thursday, Father Brian Mullady, how are you? Just fine. How about you, Jack? Terrific. So why do you church people always hit me in the interpersonal relationship with all your doctrine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I thought that in this segment we might talk about, since it's close to Valentine's Day, uh, the the primary expression of interpersonal relations, (laughs) which is marriage. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, I was just reading, interestingly enough, I think it was on Facebook, something about self-affirmation on Valentine's Day where everything's about yourself. (laughs) Now, there's nothing wrong with loving yourself, but you love yourself as someone who's a person and therefore gives yourself to another. And the whole secret of marital relations is the ability to give yourself disinterestedly to another, what we call self-restraining love. As you know, it's a truism today that with our modern woke culture and the culture wars, marriage is the foundation of the family, which is the basic building block of all society. It's where everybody basically learns initially to give themselves to another in a disinterested way. And marriage, of course, has been greatly attacked for the last 50 years in the West And I don't like to talk about this too much, but I think it needs to be stated again, just for the sake of clarity, that one of the principal attacks on marriage has been contraception. I just finished writing a book on the ideas of Dr. Conrad Bars, who is a Catholic psychiatrist, who talks a lot about this, interestingly enough, as a psychiatrist. And one of the things he says in one of his books, Doctor of the Heart, is he's comparing a European country, I won't say which one, to uh, 
during World War II in its difficulties in resisting the Nazis. And he says, this country paid its price for taking the lead in one of the most successful campaigns in modern history some 125 years earlier, the campaign of birth control. Because, you know, birth control's origin was a Dr. Malthus, who was an Episcopalian divine and very much a humanitarian, but believed that the world's food supply would be destroyed if we didn't limit births, and this would be about 1820. Successful their campaign had been because birth control appeals so much to the selfish element in every human being. It eliminates the responsibilities and duties of love. It decries the consequence of romance. And it educates young people in their own selfish interest and in the indulgence of their selfish desire. This country, by destroying the morality of its youth, had led the way to the destruction of its own existence because it had removed in its children the backbone of perseverance against evil. Now, this has certainly come to fruition. Uh, I don't know if you were around, Jack, when Humani Vitae was approved, but I was about 22 years old when it was approved. And everybody thought the Pope was nuts. Paul VI said things like, if we approve this birth control, this contraceptive pill, it will lead to... uh, Basically, the destruction of the family, wholesale divorce, and, and homosexuality. And, of course, he didn't even imagine the cross-gender, transgender things. But, I mean, and everybody laughed at him. And yet, that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's happened is quite simple. The moment you separate sexuality from marriage, then why not have a homosexual relationship? Because it, it doesn't have anything to do with the relationship of marriage in itself. And the moment you separate sexuality from marriage, you separate the physical expression of this internal self-restraining love where you will form another person from the conversion of heart, in a sense, or the giving of yourself that should characterize this relationship. John Paul II expressed this in the Wednesday audiences on theology of the body when he defined concupiscence, you know, the lustful look in the Sermon on the Mount as you're not good because you exist. You're good because you make me feel good, which is utilitarian. So the implication is, well, when you don't make me feel good anymore, then I don't love you anymore, and there shouldn't be any... uh, lasting relationship behind all this. When, as a matter of fact, the whole reason God established the relationship of marriage was to reflect his own giving of himself within the Trinity, which is, after all, eternal and involves the complete interpenetration of the persons into each other's lie, you know, each other's person, because obviously God doesn't have a life in the sense that we do. And yet, complete separation too so you realize yourself by losing yourself to find yourself in the gift you give of yourself to another and that's what love basically is so what we've done is by using the birth control pill 
to say something like no child but a wanted child. What we mean is no child but one that fits into my life. So it's all about me. And it's not about the person themselves. And of course, the children pick this up. And it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of our children are committing suicide and that sort of thing, because they don't feel loved for themselves alone. They don't experience disinterested love. They're only loved because they can do things or produce things or win things or something like that. No. If they're made in the image and likeness of God, they're lovable in themselves. So on St. Valentine's Day, it's good to recall that the teaching of the magisterium of the church, which 50 years ago was considered to be uh, almost insane, you could say, completely uh, out to lunch in a way, is really actually quite relevant to trying to reestablish today authentic marriages. You know, uh, we do have an enemy, right? And uh, an enemy far inferior to the God that we serve. But from our perspective, a formidable enemy. And he maybe isn't wise, but he's not stupid. And he understands where to attack. And the area of the family is really kind of his prime target, isn't it? Well, yeah, because it's completely against what he stands for. Love by giving yourself to another no. For Satan, it's absorbing the weaker self into the more powerful self. <laughs> and uh, the marriage is something he finds totally repugnant because not only does it reflect God. C.S. Lewis is very eloquent on this in the screw tape letters. When he had uh, Satan say, uh, nobody can love another in the sense of affirming them. Uh, even in nature, one thing affirms itself by supplanting or destroying the other. And then he says, the sad thing is that the Trinity, the enemy, calls himself three as well as one. And he actually introduces into human beings the idea that they can give themselves and receive themselves in this interested use, which is complete madness. He says, nobody can love. It's just impossible because Satan can't love. In order for him to love, he has to get out of himself and his selfishness. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Grab one of these open phone lines on EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, hot off the presses for the month of February, a new book from EWTN Publishing, Spiritual Excellence, The Path to Happiness, Holiness, and Heaven by Deacon Richard Eason. Uh, Deacon Eason has prepared a practical and motivational book to help you pursue spiritual excellence and discover the abundant life our Lord is calling you to experience. Um, In this book, you'll be empowered to fly with the angels and soar with the saints. 
so you can live a happier and holier life. Uh, Some of the topics featured in this book are how to remain steadfast in suffering, conflict, and adversity, and how to overcome doubt, stress, and worry in your faith. All of this in Spiritual Excellence, The Path to Happiness, Holiness, and Heaven by Deacon Richard Eason, available now at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Father Sharon in Newark, Ohio, has been holding since the end of the last program. We are going to reward her patience now. Sharon, you are on the air with Father Brian Mullady. Thank you. I've had a question, been thinking about it for a long time, Father. I'm a cradle Catholic, but this I don't know. Uh, when a priest, a Catholic priest, leaves the Catholic Church, is his power to change the bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus Christ, is that power severed? Or can he go on and take that with him and go to well, other I'm, churches? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked that, because uh, it helps me to explain that the priesthood involves not only, it's like baptism, and not only involves grace, but it also involves an indelible mark. And just as mm-hmm. a Christian who goes to hell still is a Christian, they don't revert to being a pagan. They have right. an indelible mark in them. In the same way, the priest has the indelible mark in eternity. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So he takes that ability with him. But were he to confect the Eucharist in another church, he'd be committing a grave sin because he has to do it in union with the Catholic Church. Now, there are, well, more more with regard to absolution of sin. In danger of death, even a priest who's married or defrocked can forgive sins. In other words, if a person is dying and there's no priest available, it's possible for them to give absolution, because they still have the power to do so. But normally speaking, the power in this world can only be exercised in canonical union with the Catholic Church. And that involves the um, faculties to carry out the deeds. Now, you still have the power to do it, but it would be gravely against Christ's will for you to do this outside of the Mass. So that's the answer. You never cease being a priest. But if you were to exercise your priesthood, and I... I would say absolution and danger of death is the one exception. If you were to, because it's an emergency, as you know, if you were to exercise your priesthood in any other context, you'd be committing a grave sin yourself. Does that help, Sharon? Okay, I guess that's it. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN. That, uh... Opens up a line for you at 833-288-3986. Got an email here from Erin, and she says, I agree with the Catholic teaching on same-sex quote-unquote marriage. However, as a Catholic American, I struggle with the idea of imposing my morality on another. How do I reconcile this? Well, you have to realize that the whole idea of one man and one woman uh, who are naturally a man and a woman by their biology, marrying each other isn't just a Christian teaching, that it's also a teaching of the natural law. In fact, it's contained, it would be implicitly contained in the Ten Commandments, 
about adultery. Obviously, they didn't have trans sex or things like that, or people who identify with another sex in the former times. But had they had it, they would certainly have, uh, as some um, societies now that are not Western and highly educated, react against the whole idea almost with horror, you could say. It wasn't that they were so much against homosexuality, but they'd be against the idea that you could marry and be homosexual. That's that's different. And uh, they, they, they felt that even though they tolerated homosexuals, they didn't think that it could be a context for marriage. That's where the issue lies. And the uh, natural law demands, and this is regardless of Christianity, it has to do with having children. Like I said, in order to have children, you have to be a biological male and a biological female, and you have to look upon your uh, uh, sexual, sexual act as an expression of the interior gift of the self. And that's true whether you're a pagan, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, uh, a Christian, whatever, because that's part and parcel to the natural institution of marriage. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Plenty of open phone lines and all kinds of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. A timely question from David who wants to know, why do Catholics teach against contraception? Well, I tried to explain. (laughs) We teach against contraception because we believe that each and every conjugal act, that sexual act in marriage, has to be open to the gift of life. But the reason God created, what made sexual uh, life different, or or friendship in marriage, maybe I should say, different than ordinary friendship, is the fact that it turns around God using it to create the soul and to give life. And so if you try to frustrate that by artificial designs, especially by artificial designs which are based on the idea that it won't fit into your life financially or some way, um, you can, of course, practice natural family planning, which is basically controlling your will and your use of the sexual act according to the natural infertility that God himself has placed in the act, but this has to be for a serious reason. It can't just be because you want another boat or another house or some something like that, and not even poverty. You know, if we said that people shouldn't have children because of poverty, well, most of us wouldn't have been born. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to remember, for most of the history of the human race, most people lived in poverty. And they were lucky to have something to eat and shelter and and uh, some freedom to uh, relax and have enjoyment and things like that. But the reason we're against this is because we think it strikes right at the heart of what marriage and the sexual act is about. Here's a good question from Diana. She said, I've always wondered why they mention God's image and God's likeness in the same sentence. Are they different? They're different in the sense that in the context they're used, I think. I haven't done a deep study about this, 
But I believe the context is the image, for Adam and Eve at least, before the sin would have been the fact that they're spirits. The likeness is the fact that they're in the state of grace. And so there is some difference between the two. Whether that's at the origin of every place that phrase is used in Scripture, I really don't know. I haven't really done a study on it. But it's uh, it has to do with emphasizing different aspects of how we differ from animals, basically. Uh, 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 205 271 2985, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. Angela would like to know if we should be using gender-neutral pronouns for God. You mean like it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The pronouns... Or them or they or, you know... No. Yeah. Unless you're referring to the persons of the Trinity. Obviously, you can refer to they there. But if you're referring to one of the persons, it's he. Now, why? Well, God obviously doesn't have a gender. He doesn't have a body. But in the scriptures, there are masculine and feminine images for God. The feminine image would be, I would gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. The masculine images have to do with God's power, and they're by far the more prevalent. In other words, his transcendence and the feminine images have to do with his eminence in the world. Now, people that write about these sorts of things and reflect on them say that both can be used, obviously, because the scriptures do it in the Old Testament especially, but that the masculine image predominates because God's transcendence is the source of his nearness in the world, and his nearness in the world ends again in his transcendence. So the masculine image would be much more further emphasized. The feminine image is inserted, basically, in the masculine image. But normally when we refer to God, we refer to him. 833-288-EWTN. couple of open phone lines at 833-288-3986. You can always text your question. To Father Milady, text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for a response. Text your first name and your question. Message and data rates may apply. Uh, I've got a little bit lengthy email, but I think it's it's kind of a heartbreaking email. I'm going to read it now, and I'll get you to comment uh, comment on it at the bottom of the hour here. But Lillian writes in. She said, I married via civil union 13 years ago. For this reason, I have not received Holy Communion for this long. I was ignorant of God's commands, and the issue of cohabitating did not bother me at the time. Over the years, our marriage became very strenuous, very or little or no communication. There have been no marital relations for at least five years. I then began to experience a strong hunger to, and thirst for Christ. I prayed to the Lord to forgive us. I tried several times to have my husband and I have a simple church marriage, but he has continued to decline. I to- he told me I should seek help on my own. We have three children, ages 4 through 12. 
I fear if we separate, there will be grave consequences for the children. Although I pray on a daily basis and attend Mass frequently, I still feel a void in my heart. What should I do as I want to be admitted again to Holy Communion? So that's Lillian, and we will hear Father Milady's response to her. Right. Uh, and we'll also talk to you, hopefully, at 1-800-833-288-EWTN. It's a Thursday edition of EWTN's Open Line with Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. And Father, we have an email from Lillian who um, really started to to, uh, throw herself into her faith uh, after she had already entered into uh, a civil marriage, and she's feeling a little stuck now. Well, you mentioned, Lillian, that you hadn't had relations for quite some time. Now, the problem with going to communion isn't the fact that you're married outside the church necessarily. You would have to confess that as a sin. Uh, but the problem is would be sex, continuous sex. In other words, if you and your husband were continuing to consummate your marriage. Um, but if you weren't having sex... You basically be living as brother and sister, which means that once you confessed being married outside the church, which you seem to be sad that you did, all right, you don't have to tell your husband that. You can just do it in the confessional with our Lord. That then, if you're not having relations, you could go to communion as long as you're not having relations. So sometimes people make people promise to do that in your case, that might be too rigorous the solution. So I would suggest that if you're not having relations, that you just quietly, uh, once you confess being married outside the church and been absolved, uh, avail yourself of communion. Now, the problem is if your husband never decides it's time to have relations again, then you're going to have to deal with that. And that means you may have to abstain from communion then. All right, thank you, Lillian. One thing you've done by writing in is you're going to have a whole bunch of people listening to the program praying for you and Absolutely. for your family. Uh, next up is Stephanie in Dayton, Ohio. She is listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Stephanie, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian. Hi, Father. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I am a bit in despair, honestly, in the state of the traditional Latin Mass. Um, and kind of want some sort of confirmation as to where that lies, um, if you have any knowledge towards this. Um, I know that, you know, having attended for many years the Novus Ordo, um, my movement toward the traditional Latin Mass has truly helped my faith, and I just don't see where the traditional Latin Mass is wrong in any way. Can you give me some knowledge as to where this state, where is this the state? Now, what are you despairing about? The fact that the, it's going to be resolved and uh, won't be resolved, you won't ever be able to go again, or where are you in despair? What are you in despair about? 
I'm in despair that that they might that the Latin mass might be eliminated. All right. Well, I really don't know the answer to that. Uh, it's in the Pope's mind, whatever he's going to do. Uh, the other thing I would say is this. Uh, when you say you've gone to the Novus Ordo Mass and you find the traditional Latin Mass much more helpful, I can understand that. But as someone who said the Novus Ordo Mass for 50 years, in various places I've discovered that there are many different expressions of the Novus Ordo Mass. And one of them is that it's perfectly possible for a priest to celebrate the Novus Ordo Mass in Latin, even facing east. And it's, it might be the case that near where you live, there is such a place where you could go for that. And I think most of the laity, frankly, couldn't tell the difference between that and the traditional Latin Mass. So you may, some others may, but many of them, uh, they'll say the Latin Mass, but they don't distinguish between the two. Now, there, there is a distinction. So if you could find a place where the Novus Ordo was said uh, in a more um, traditional manner, uh, with traditional music and all that sort of thing near where you live, if it should ever become the case that the um, you know, extraordinary form is, uh, well, forbidden, at least in your diocese, because... Some bishops haven't paid any attention to this thing that came from Rome. Uh, then you could have a, a place where you could still find spiritual comfort, in my opinion. You know, Father, I think a lot of people are under the misconception that the documents of Vatican II did away with Latin, and really, it's quite the opposite if you really yes, read the is. documents, isn't it? Well, it is, and if you read the original form of the Missal of Paul VI, there are places where it says, and now the priest faces the people and says. So in other words, it presumes that at least for the liturgy of the Eucharist, the priest is not going to be facing the people. <laughs> but the liturgists got a hold of it, and everybody's so used to it now uh, that it's very hard to change. I would love, I like celebrating the liturgy of the Eucharist facing east, in other words, facing the altar, but like was the case with the changes in Vatican II where these people just impose this stuff. They never explain them to anybody. You can't just walk in and impose this on people without some preparation and catechesis and, and that sort of thing because people's prayer life is very personal to them. Thanks so much. Oops. Thanks, Stephanie. We appreciate that call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Next up is Bassam in Orchard Lake, Michigan, listening on Ave Maria Radio. Bassam, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Father, for uh, your ministry question. Um, going to Mass online on a daily basis, not Sunday. Sunday definitely attending after the pandemic. But on a daily basis, is that still considered going to Mass, or is it a pious prayer? Uh, I would consider it a devotional practice. Uh, as you know, the only obligation for going to Mass is on on Sunday. So if uh, I actually watch the EWDN Mass every morning when I get up, and I say Mass also myself later, 
And for me, it's a pious devotional meditation that helps to get me in the mood. And I hear the readings read once, and I hear some, you know, some other priest's reflection on the readings, and it helps me to focus my thoughts. So if you were to use that as you would a spiritual book or something like that as a pious preparation, or I think that would be wonderful if you can't go physically. Um, going to Mass daily is something that's somewhat new in the church, you know. I mean, uh, at least when I was a boy in the 50s, nobody went to Mass daily, <laughs> hardly anybody. You know, I used to serve the 6 a.m. Mass and there'd be one person there. And part of it was because of the communion fast from midnight on. Of course, everyone would be at Sunday Mass. So it's a wonderful thing to do if you can do it. And if you can't do it, um, I think that uh, viewing the television Mass is certainly a way to uh, deepen your prayer life. 833-288-EWTN. Still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Next up is James in Atlanta, Georgia, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. James, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Hello. Um, I was wondering why people use God's name in vain, and if we hear it, what should we do about it? Well, what do you mean by God's name in vain now? Uh, because... The second commandment, you know, is somewhat um, ambiguous in the terminology it uses because that doesn't mean every use of the name of God is wrong. For example, if you call on God to witness in court, so help you God, you know, if you call on God to witness the truth in court, uh that's not considered in vain. It would be considered to be against the second commandment for you to call on God to witness to a truth you are um, stating in court when you're committing perjury. If you mean um, actually, while well, using the terminology to, and you mean it, you know, like trying to damn people or something like that, that would obviously be a serious problem. If it's just um, impolite speech, that's the only real correction you'd use there is more or less a correction of the context, that you're not being polite to people around you. So it depends on what you mean by that. And um, if you really mean to damn someone or curse someone, obviously... That not only needs to be corrected, but it's a, a serious sin. But if it's a casual figure of speech, it may be impolite. It may be something you wouldn't do, shouldn't do in public, but it's not necessarily, it would be a venial sin if it were a sin. Um, so uh, I think that the issue is, uh, I, that's why I don't know what you mean by it to say whether you should correct it for someone else. Uh, you can tell someone you think their language is trash and it's not getting through, basically. In other words, their message isn't getting through because of the manner in which they're giving it. And they're, and again, they're also being extremely impolite and uh, rude, basically, to other people, which is, it, has a, it, it kind of borders on a lack of love for other people, too making people uncomfortable or life not livable for others. 
uh, frankly, I'm uh, appalled. I've been appalled for 25 years at the language that people use in movies now. <laughs> and I used to say it was like they, they took the F word and they put a computer on it and they just liberally dispersed it throughout this movie script <laughs> with no reason whatsoever why. I said, Who talks that way anyway? Nobody does. But they put this thing in there and I just am astonished at how awful it is. Um, but it's not quite the same as cursing. In the sense of uh, bringing, you know, calling a, a curse. So, yeah, I've got. A, depending upon how involved you want to get in any individual situation, I know I have a a a colleague in another apostolate who, uh, whenever he hears someone shout out the Messiah's name in anger or frustration, he'll he'll immediately respond to them by saying, "I know him." <laughs> well it's it's uh different cultures too have i mean when i was a little a boy you know one of the expressions that was used and i just heard one of our priests the other day jesus mary and joseph they'll say like that you know which is of course taking the name of the lord in vain and the word bloody i don't know if you know what, what yeah, the origin good. of this is yeah. the word bloody in in, in british is by Our Lady. <laughs> That's what it comes from. So it's a corruption of by Our Lady. Yeah. Next up is Ken in Chicago, Illinois, listening on WSFI Radio today. Ken, you're on with Father Brian. Hi, great show. Thanks for taking the call. Um, my daughter got engaged um, just before Christmas, and um, we are practicing Catholics, and so is her uh, fiancé. And I'm struggling with them because they want to have an outdoor wedding, and I'm telling oh, I... my daughter that everything I've looked at, you can't, and it says, but there are exceptions, and I can't seem to find what the exceptions are to make my argument with my daughter, so I need a little guidance here. Oh, you mean like a happening in the park? That's what they used to have in the 70s in California, in the Redwoods or something like that. Uh, normally speaking, weddings should be performed in church because it is a sacrament. Now, I'm not a parish priest. You know, I was a professor and a preacher. So uh, I think there are some exceptions that may be made to that. But they're not spelled out anywhere in the sense that it's this or this or this. I think it depends on the pastor and on the diocese. But they have to have permission to not have the wedding in church. Um, so I, I really don't know how to answer that otherwise. But happenings in the park don't do it. I'm sorry. I seriously doubt anyone would get permission for such a wedding. Does that help, Ken? Right. Yeah. It, uh, it, yes it, and it, no, it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be a happening in the park, but um, <laughs> they just wanted to have it uh, near where they are having the reception at. So. Uh, well, that, that won't fly. I'm sorry, that won't fly. That's a silly reason. If there were some okay. re really important reason for it. But, you know, people, the worst job, I know I know people are going to not want to hear this, but when I used to teach the seminarians, I say, you know, I haven't done that many weddings because I wasn't a parish priest. But the worst job a priest does is weddings. And it's because everybody's queen for a day and they all want their stuff. 
And uh, the worst wedding I ever had was a Greek Orthodox Roman Catholic wedding when I was newly ordained where the woman wanted to have mass in her parish church, which was Roman Catholic. And the boy was Greek Orthodox, so they wanted the Greek Orthodox ceremonial, you know, with the crowns and the whole bit. So I said, okay, well, I can get your permission to have the Greek priest come here and do all that stuff. So I called the diocese and they said, sure, that's fine. So the couple came the next day, uh, week and I said, okay, it's all set. And the Greek kid says, oh, that's, no, it's not. My priest says no Greek priest is setting foot in a Catholic church for any reason whatsoever. Oh, okay. Well, I can get your permission to be married in the Greek church. And the woman goes, I want to be married in my parish church. And I yeah. thought, gee, the first baptism is going to be really something if the wedding's like this. <laughs> and, and I also always tell, used to tell the seminarians, my short shrift in doing weddings is one rule I learned. There's only two people that have to be happy for a wedding to go well. And it's not the bride and the groom. It's the mother of the bride and the mother of the groom. <laughs> so if you make them happy, it will be a delightful experience. And if you can't, I don't know. And, you know, a lot of parishes now, they hire lay women to try to deal with the ladies on where they want to have the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this, if there was an important reason, I think that, the I don't know, maybe the priest will give you permission or the diocese to do it. But just to have it near the reception, uh-uh, that's not an important enough reason. Thanks, Ked. God bless you. Next stop for us is Bemidji, Minnesota. Carrie is in the great state of Minnesota, listening on Real Presence Radio. Carrie, you're on with Father Brian. Hello, Father. Thank you so much. I'm learning a lot already. My quick question is this. I work in a nursing home on the overnight shift where many times, more often than not, our residents do pass on the overnight shift. A lot of them are not Catholic, and I do pray with them um, when it's just the two of us in the room. However, I was wondering, is it possible, am I allowed to bring holy water and make the sign of the cross on their forehead, or is that outside my bounds? Well, if the hospital will let you do it... you could do that, but not baptism. Uh-uh, you can't do that. Um, but you could, yeah, bless them. I'll tell you a funny story, too, about that. We had a brother who was doing his clinical pastoral education, which they all have to go through now, where they go to a hospital for like a month and in formation and seminary and learn how to, you know, relate to the uh, patients. So, uh, strangely, he was at a large hospital in Los Angeles, and the two women running clinical pastoral education were Jewish. And they said to him, don't you guys have an outfit or something you wear? He said, you mean the religious habit? Oh, yeah, that'll be nice to be countercultural. So why don't you wear that? So he got to wear his habit in this secular hospital. Anyway, there was a woman that was brought in. She was Hispanic. She was going absolutely nuts. And so he went and got the Blessed Sacrament and brought it to her. And as soon as he held it up, she went totally into peace. So there was a fellow uh, who was in the same program who wasn't Catholic. And he said, what did you do anyway? He said, well, see, we have this thing called the Blessed Sacrament, and we believe it's Jesus and blah, blah, blah. 
So the next day, brother goes to the hospital, and this fellow says, you know, they brought in another woman who was hysterical. So I went and got whatever that was, the tabernacle. <laughs> and I brought it and gave it to her. And, and, and of course, brother said, well, you're not really allowed to do that. <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, look at that. I mean, it does testify to the power of the sacrament, right? <laughs> but um, no, it's, if, you, if you think it would be helpful, I would say you could do it, but don't force it on people. For one thing, you'll get in trouble if you do that. Yeah. God bless you. Thanks, Carrie. We appreciate the call. You know, EWTN Radio has been the home of the rosary for nearly 30 years, uh, and it's still the same today. Twice a day on EWTN Radio, you can pray the rosary with Mother Angelica and the nuns at 5.30 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time, and then at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Father Benedict Groeschel and Simonetta with some beautiful reflections on the rosary. That's right here on EWTN Radio. Father Brian, you remember Lillian, our emailer. Well, yes. Nancy in Ontario, Canada, listening at EWTN.com, uh, has a question about the answer that you gave to Lillian. All right. And we will go, hopefully, uh, to Nancy. Nancy, you're on with Father Brian. Hey, hello. Uh, hello, Father Brian. Hi. Uh, it's been very interesting listening to you. Um, I would like to ask you about a situation and whether or not it would be okay. Imagine that... Um, a woman is in that very same situation where um, the relationship has grown cold in her marriage, and um, then she can, because they're living as brother and sister, she can now go to communion. And imagine someday, that was kind of your, uh, your, your throw-off at the end of it, imagine someday he says, oh, uh, actually, I want it to be back the way it used to be with sex and all. Uh, imagine she says at this at this point, she says to him, you know, when I was younger, I didn't realize how important it was to have a Catholic marriage. And I dearly love you, and I would be very happy, especially for our children, if we could normalize things. But, sir, it only happens after a Catholic marriage. I know now that that's what I'm obligated to do before I get into a marriage-type relationship again with you. Um, what if she says that to him? Well, who knows? It may be the catalyst he needs to change, or he may just say, forget it, I don't want it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, people present these hypothetical situations. <laughs> That's why I don't imagine. I like facts. I like real situations. Um, in this case, apparently that hasn't been possible so far. That's not to say it might not be possible in the future. But you can't presume on that, and that was the point of her question with what she did if you couldn't presume on it. Would it be a legitimate position for her to take in that hypothetical situation? You mean to uh, tell him that she wanted to be married in the Catholic Church? Yeah, or to kind of hold uh, yes, the marital act hostage from him? Well, uh, it can't be a matter of use. It has to be, look, this is my situation if they're communicating, which is always a difficulty in marriages, as you know, um, you know, this is my situation. I've been going to communion because it means a great deal to me. But it's because we haven't been having relations, which I look on as sinful because we're not married in the church. So um, I don't want to use this as a weapon and 
present you with a you know uh, an either or situation an ultimatum but what i would say is if you want to make me happy if you love me uh i really need to my religion is very important to me it would be nice if you could marry me in the church but if you don't want to if you if you insist on consummating our marriage again I won't be able to go to commune, which would make me very unhappy. And finally, Leonard is watching us on YouTube today, and he, uh, he's he got a kind of a two-part question. He says, how many times a day can I receive Holy Communion? And he says that he's been saying the spiritual communion prayer and listening to online Mass two or three times a day and wonders if that's sacrilegious. Listening to online Mass, it's not sacrilegious. <laughs> uh, it's not the same as going to communion. Uh, as regards to going to communion, uh, we went through all this in the 70s because people started to go to multiple masses. So, oh gosh, they started out and they said, well, you can go to communion twice, but it has to be a different kind of mass. Well, what does that mean? So, like a funeral or something, but what could it mean? Well, that was so hard to interpret. Nobody could figure it out. So finally, as my understanding of the rule at the moment is, you may go to communion twice, but it has to be the whole mass that you attend. In other words, what they don't want is people just running in to go to communion and then running out and then running in to go to communion. It has to be, you have to attend the whole mass at which communion is given each time. Is my understanding. Thank you, Leonard. We appreciate that question today, and we have come flat up against the end of another hour here on EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. We will certainly do it again next week at the same time. And Father, as we conclude today's show, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Charles Beery, and our call screener, Matt Kubensky, I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Thursday edition of EWTN's Open Line. If you've got a theology question that's been eaten at you, tomorrow is your day. Give us a call. Our very own Vice President of Theology, Colin Donovan, will be in the house taking your questions. Or more importantly, if you've called on another day and the host has told you to call back on Friday and ask Colin, then you can do that tomorrow. Until we get together tomorrow with Colin Donovan, God bless.